Hey guys, it's Devin. A uh, quick disclaimer, the audio for this episode is not great and we did not realize it until after we recorded the episode. So if you can suffer through uh, some kind of middling audio quality for this episode, I promise we will be back to our normal high standard audio production next time. Thanks. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be joining us from. My name is Devin Morgan, director of the Baseball Driveline, friend of the Driveline Academy, and this is the Driveline Academy podcast, uh, joined as per usual by my partner, co-host, and assistant director, brother Jennifer, uh, whew, I was going too fast. I was going to say, you're talking too fast. It's going too fast. By my partner, by the assistant director, by my brother, Jeremy Tectiel. Um, and let's see, we talk a lot about you know, the results of this thing in youth baseball not being something we're gonna like define ourselves by. That doesn't mean that it doesn't feel good when we're successful. And uh, in the last two weeks, I think we've seen like the ups and downs of how that can look. Um, Cause I'm sure that like, as our audience grows, I think one of the natural things that's, that's gonna happen is like people are gonna like check the game changers and see how this thing is playing out. And you know, like uh, Tale of Two Cities in the last couple weekends, um, we had a weekend with, um, some of our, our kids that need a little bit more development, and also some of our, our kids that we think are like fairly competitive per age. Um, the weekend before uh, got, I don't know, what's your you know euphemism of choice? Uh, dog walked, uh, molly walked. Um, boat raced. Boat raced. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't go great, some pretty upside down scores. Um, and then uh, this last weekend, as in yesterday and the day before yesterday, uh, the old regression to the mean, right? Um, comes comes it from comes for It comes for you. And uh, and ended up having um, you know much more competitive gameplay. Um, shout out to our thirteen U black team for going and winning the winning the ship in their division. Uh, I guess a silver a silver division championship in so much as that matters for anybody who wants to like fact check me. But like pretty they, sure the medals they handed out were still gold. That's right, well, plastic, but like uh, colored gold. I think yeah, gold painted. Yeah, I mean that's as valid as. Is any of the other ones that we have behind us? I'm sure I'll have to talk to, to Rich and see if we have an extra that we can hang out. Yeah, um, which is just, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think being back in the tournament environment um, and being back under like a um, strict two hour time limit, um, you know, that configuration of like, uh, yeah, not only you have to play multiple games in a day, but you don't really know like what the next day's schedule is going to look like. So you kind of have to do like some roster prognostication about how to how to manage all that stuff. Um, and all of it, I think, boils down into the thing that we wanted to talk about today, which is this idea of like in-game coaching. Um, we've talked a lot about uh, the the way that we have the specific approach to uh, coaching skill development. Um, Training. Training, but in a lot of ways, right? And you know, and we can get into um, you know the the infinite game idea, right? That like if if you approach training the same way that you approach competition, then you're always playing games. Right. However, uh, as much as that is something that I think is is true and valid, uh, there is a different thing that I think as coaches we're trying to be mindful of when you actually have kids on a field, uni and a belt and cleats and whatever uh, about kind of how to effectively coach in game. Um, and in, in so much as it matters in my time as a youth baseball coach, I've been on both sides of the fence. Uh, I have done that thing where I have aggressively like tried to coach every swing, every pitch, 
every defensive situation. And I've also done the other thing, uh, and the thing that I get to do now as a, as a dad, because you get to wear it as a coach, which is just like sit back and shut up. Yeah. Um, and would you do a phenomenal job? Well, thank you. I'm very good at shutting up sometimes. Some people may not believe that, but like, I ch- uh, although uh, if I have to cock to it, uh, I yesterday, the, the pitch that took us out of the game, I, I did have a moment, guys. Uh, I was just like, man, that is way outside. And I didn't say it in a quiet voice, but like, you know, it's, it's fine. I don't think I was one of the 10 loudest people uh, at the field by any stretch. Uh, that honor went to uh, another very interested fan. Um, sure. Who, uh, who, in the words of, of one of the other parents that I was sitting next to, uh, spread his joy throughout the field. Yeah. Um, and it, it definitely an impressive feat where you can be yelling from left field, uh, the bullpen in left field, yelling from the the left field or the third base uh, dugout, from the stands, from right field, and the voice like the volume is the same. Yeah. That's an impressive feat. Kudos to that guy. Not really. Uh, so in-game coaching, you know, is, is just inherently difficult. Again, because we're talking about kids who are still learning how to play this game. And like, I, you know, I was thinking about this this week, just apropos of absolutely nothing. Um, because they're kids, I think basically every kid for, could benefit from a developmental approach to the way that they experience youth baseball. Uh, I don't think that every kid is ready to have their development tested in competition in youth baseball. Yeah specifically in this lens of tournament baseball, which is like, again, like an altogether different animal um, because of the way that it incentivizes different approaches to the game, right? Uh, you, I had to act like he's come back this weekend. Had, right, we had to put it on a team um, just because we're trying to preserve pitching. And uh, I mean, and I don't think we did anything, I don't think we conducted ourselves in that way completely scummy. No, but I didn't give him the red light until the fourth inning. Yeah. Yeah, and it's when it was um, like clear we were going to burst them, even if I gave them the red light. They were, I felt bad. I'll say that. I, you know, there, I had three different kids on the other team crying, uh, and it's like, yeah, I felt very bad about it. But I knew it was, that's tournament baseball. You got to be a little scummy sometimes to save pitching and to get through the next day. And like, yeah, it, you know, and it's funny. Like I was, I was kind of like being a little bit of sarcastically castigating this other fan on the other team that was really loud. Um, I, I will give the guy credit though, because um, I, I think in the you know as we got into the third and fourth and the lead got to be fairly substantial, uh, I heard him because of course I heard everything he said. How could you not? Um, I heard him going like, "Hey boys, it's just reps. Let's get some reps." And like, it's easy. It's easy to kind of like look at like the big voice guy in the field, whether that's a coach or a parent, and be like, "Well, you know, you're getting in the kid's way." And and I. I've seen that, you know, like I've, I've definitely seen that, but that particular message and that particular moment was absolutely valid, right? Right. Um, and like, look, if you're uh, if you're gonna yell loudly uh, on most pitches, uh, sometimes you're gonna yell something that has validity to it. Sure. I mean, he's a volume shooter. Yeah. 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 Um, you're gonna make some half court threes. You take yeah. hundred of them, you're gonna make some of them. Yeah, and you know, in that approach of like, hey, let's you know, let's just focus. Let's try to get better every rep. A thousand percent valid. The, the problem is, is that like, look, you know, we've we've been on record, and not only like talked about it, but I think we've walked the walk about not being the biggest assholes on the field. Yeah, like I, I uh, 
I would have to really think hard about anything that I've either seen or heard about our coaches like not conducting themselves in the ideals of what we, because because we we talk about it, we train it, we have structure for it, we hire for it, etc. Um, and even with that construction of the people that are involved in our program, you get into that tournament environment, and it's like I, I got to save pitching because I know that I have two more. I, I know I know that I have well let's say I got one more tomorrow and maybe two more three that I got to play that day so it's like okay well do I do I take the gas pedal off and maybe not run up the score on these kids but if I do that then I'm literally burning economy that I know is really really crucial just because of this stupid format it's a it's really much like a it's just hard to find like the the right path for for how to win. Like, what's the what's the best choice in that environment? It's it's just tough, and it, it is it's a totally totally driven by the construction environment. Driven yeah. by baseball. That was uh, run, us running around the bases and uh, really keeping our foot on the gas pedal was like the least worst thing we could have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so to that end, uh, in-game coaching, right? Um, we've talked about this a lot on the training side. Um, and I think sometimes there's this, there's this want that I think some parents and coaches have, which is that like, okay, well, all this stuff is well and good for you to kind of give kids this landscape of exploration, right? I'm gonna give you an environment and an implement and a constraint, and you have to navigate around that thing to learn how to do this thing the best way to solve the problem. But then when you get on a field, uni, belt, cleats, there's this expectation that like, okay, on a pitch by pitch basis, I'm gonna like coach you up. And I've, I've seen it, I've talked to parents who like explicitly want that uh, as a thing that their child receives. And, and it's like, I think the uncomfortable thing for parents and coaches sometimes is that like the way that you look in competition is to a degree the way that you look in training. So, if we understand that we construct this environment with implements and constraints to drive skill adaptation and training, why would you want it to be the opposite when it comes to competition? Just, just because there's a, a sense of consequence? But like, what, what is the real consequence? Right, but it, can, right? it is hard to, it's hard to be in that situation. And like, we, uh, we can say, right? Like, there, there are no consequences right. to be. It's really hard when you're in the moment to remind yourself that there are no consequences because it does feel like there are. And even even more so for the kids. And and that yep. is like, you know, when I'm upset that we lose a game, I don't care about me. But like, I know how they're feeling. Yeah. And I don't want that. So like when we talk about, you know, regression being last weekend, we were, our results were a little rough. This weekend, they were a lot better. The reason I care about game results being better is because I know that that basically means that the kids had more fun this weekend than last weekend. Yeah. Uh, because it's much harder to have fun. You can still do it, but it's much harder to get fun, have fun when you get blown out. Uh, whereas like winning, even if you make a bunch of mistakes, inherently it's more fun. Yeah. Like you're gonna have a smile on your face at the end of the day. You don't need someone to like explain why you should still have a smile on your face. You just have it. It needs unpacking. It, right, losing needs unpacking and it's, it's always harder. Like unpacking is always harder. Yeah, and and it's and again, it's it's harder because uh, it's us, right? It's coaches want to see, uh, you know, the the stuff that we've worked on immediately translate into competition. 
parents want to see the thing that they, they know that their child is working on to be resolved in competition. And then that thing kind of like works downstream to you're the coach in third base. And kid like fouls off a 0 pitch. And then they take a meatball breaking ball for 0-2. And then they take one step out of the box and they're like looking at and it, you know, and then the you know the hands go up and the head goes down, like and all this other stuff. And um, in that situation, it's I think the first thing that I think about is like I need to keep this kid. I need them to be where their feet are. I can't let this kid live on the last pitch or the last bad outcome because the more that I do anything to suggest that that is an area of focus. I, I just, I've seen it a million times that it is less focused on the next opportunity. That's just how that plays out. And there's a variety of crappy ways that, that guys coach that, right? It's uh, the, the sarcasm thing, I think, is my, um, is my biggest man that drives me nuts to, to see a grown adult, uh, you know, you take pitch or whatever, and it's just like, well, what are you looking at? Can't, can't hit it if you can't get the bat off your shoulders. Like, do you even, like, there's there's the sarcastic stuff, there's the uh, aggressively negative stuff, like, like all that stuff. And the reason why we have structure in place to kind of talk about the way that we train our coaches that, that is like, don't do that, is because you're, you're literally forcing the kid's attention to the thing that happened in the past, not the next thing. We've seen plenty of like guys, uh, the Barry Bonds, Eric Gagne, which is like one of my favorite at bats to ever to watch. Um, even though for my beloved Dodgers, it did not, it didn't end up in our favor. Uh, okay, uh, Gibby, right? The the Gibby, uh, the the Gibby at bat, right? O two hole, you start that thing in an O two hole. Uh, in those circumstances those athletes were able to kind of like stay present, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're able to stay present. Um, you're not devoting cognitive effort and horsepower towards bitching about the last play or uh, criminalizing your own activity in terms of like approach to that last pitch or the mechanics of the swing or whatever. All that stuff has to go by the wayside just so you can stay present. Yeah. But in youth sport, I think a lot of times it's like there's this idea that that's like a coaching opportunity. Like, but the, the play is still going on. Right. The at-bat has not resolved. And, and you know, and I've, I've been that guy, man, I know, I know that I've done that, where it's just like I've, I've done something to draw that athlete's attention, not towards the next thing, but towards what, what the, the error they've already mistaken. The thing that they can't change. Right. Which is the worst thing about it, right? It's like they, they literally can't change it. Right. It's, it's over. It's, it's, it's done with it's in the past going on. It doesn't do any good you know, next pitch, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, as the in-game is, is really difficult because you're almost never able to actually stop it when there's a failure, right? So, sure. like, if I'm coaching at third base when we're on offense, the only time I'm really going to get to see that kid is if he's successful and he makes it around the third base. Right. You strike out, you go back to the dugout. I can't control yeah. what you're doing. I don't know if you noticed this. There were two different times where I yelled out in our game yesterday where I saw a kid strike out and then go, the rest of his teammates are up on the fence, and the kid goes, and, and I just see him sitting on the dugout with his head in his hands. Yeah. 
and I'm yelling to the dugout, get up on the fence. Yeah. Right? That's not, I mean, technically that's coaching, but like that has nothing to do with helping him overcome that result, uh, like for the next time, right? Like I'm not like technically right. getting right. mechanics or whatever. Um, but like I am trying to keep his head in the game and away from what just happened, but I can't do it. I can't do anything because I'm standing in the third base coaching box and they're sitting in the dugout. Right. They make an error on defense. I'm in the dugout. There's nothing I can say. I need to rely in both of those situations on their teammates to pick them up. Yeah. Whether it's like teammates seeing them sit on the bench, tell them to get up, get on the fence, teammates picking each other up on defense. And that's that's hard. Kids aren't great at that uh, most of the time. I've been working on that for a long time with my kids. We're getting better and better at it, but we're still not close, right? Like that's their 14 year old. But I think what, what they do pick up is they infer the way that they should respond to their teammates by the way that the coach responds to them, right? Like that, that's, that's just behavior modeling 101. Yeah. And you know, the reason that I think we advocate for uh, in-game coaching is something that, that really should generally be done through a lens of positivity and also in a way that doesn't like put that kid in a time machine is because you don't want to double down and make it worse. Right. Like you, you just, you have to, you have to avoid that. Yep. And uh, I think, you know, again, specific to everything we understand about the cognitive process of hitting, um, it's really easy, uh, you know, kids, it's, kid gets fooled on a pitch. And whether that's a, a 10 year old player who is just like swinging out of their shoes because they've only seen like nine months of balls thrown from a 10 year old child, or a 14 year old kid who legitimately sees like a good uh, lefty breaking ball for the first time. Like a legit lefty slider that's gonna start away and bite corner to finish. Like, uh, what's the, what does success look like? Well, success looks like, okay, you saw that, and now every other pitch you see that looks like that gets filed away in a little box, and you just start to build this mental model. But, uh, I think coaches can do more harm than good when the negativity, uh, the sarcasm, uh, the, the very emotionally manipulative, well, I'm just going to like not acknowledge you and turn my back on you. I love that. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Uh, and, and again, uh, yeah, there's a layer of that that's player coach, but there's a layer of that. I'm sorry, let me let me get really specific. There's a layer of that that's like player participant, meaning the kid that's actually involved in that play. There's another layer of that that's like coach team, where the team is inferring behavior about the way that you as the coach are interacting with one of their, and like, you know, it's just, it's emotional manipulation to me. Right. That That's just, I, I'm just, I'm gonna call it, call it spade a spade here, man. Like, because that is learned response. And it's directly kind of uh, counterproductive to the thing that we need in this game, which is you have to cultivate a sense of perseverance. To persevere, you have to like literally go through the thing. And coaches a lot of times are like, I'm gonna keep you here. We're back here, we are reliving this negative moment, this negative choice, this negative outcome over and over and over, and I'm gonna criminalize the crap out of it which is like the exact opposite of what you need to do to have that kid learn. And, like, and adapt. Right. Because regardless of maybe what's thrown in 
certain channels, uh, failure happens a lot, and it's not a bad thing in, in sports. Like, the bad part is if you can't get back up or learn from that failure. And, uh, you know, there's parents that believe failing once in a game makes their kid a failure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you have to build that relationship with the kid, which is, you said, that what we hire for, what we look for. We look for guys who are willing to put the time in and build a relationship with kids, that they know how to get that kid through the failure. Because some kids need to be pushed through that failure, and some kids uh, need to sometimes be humbled by that failure. Sure. Uh, and like, you have to know how to respond to each kid and what the easiest way to get them through to that other side and learn from that failure is in the, in the middle of the game. Otherwise, you're going to have a downward spiral where that kid is just gone for the game. In the moment, at least. What are you doing? Right. You don't think he knows? I can assure you that the outcome that that kid intended was not the one that they got. Uh, what? How are we helping? How are we teaching? How are we building character? How are we conditioning response when we do that thing as coaches? And like, I, I don't know. You know, I the more that we have these conversations about just like coaching, I think there is a very significant part of me that thinks that you need to go through some sort of like national accreditation for coaching, the same way that you should do to, to teach, because that's what it is. Yeah. I wouldn't have. I don't think there was ever a point where I would have like disagreed with that, but I wouldn't have been as on board as I am after the past few weeks. Because like, yeah. you know, we we start our season later than most teams around here because we care about our kids aren't here, and we want them to be in the prime of their season, end of May, June, July. Yep. A lot of teams start two months earlier than we do, and their kids are kind of gassed by the time we get to like those the, yeah. the prime of our season, playoffs, big tournaments, things like that. Um, so it can lead to uh, us failing a little bit more early on in the season because we're playing teams that, that happens. Uh, and like, it, you know, I had, we hadn't coached, I hadn't coached in a game against another coach since last July until early April. Mm -hmm. And like, I guess a part of me forgot how bad it really was on the other side. Uh, but like, I don't, I think there's, out of the, what, eight games, nine games we've played so far now? Um, yeah. I think there's maybe one or two coaches that I was like, uh, and to be clear, I don't have children, but that I would let this guy coach my theoretical child. Uh, and like the vast majority of these guys, I'm, I'm listening to it just like, how is this, like how, do, how, how are these words coming out of this guy's mouth and he thinks it's positive? Like he think maybe, maybe he doesn't think it's positive, but he thinks it's beneficial. He thinks it's going to be good for this kid to say what he said, because I, I, I don't help performance. Right, right. I don't want to believe that he knows how bad he's treating this kid, and he's doing it anyway. So I have to believe that there's going to be that he has some sort of intention to get the best performance out of this kid, and like that's the way you're deciding to do it. Like I, yeah, I think in a lot of cases it's, uh, and I'm a, a large Ted Lasso fan. Um, how can you not? I know, right? But like the be curious, not judgmental, right? And like immediately jumping to to judge these kids on the mistakes they make, as opposed to asking them, what what did you see there? What was what was the plan, right? And like I know, so like one or two times during the over the weekend, uh, I would see a kid uh, take a ridiculous looking first pitch swing, mm -hmm. um, and then like relax, finish the at bat or whatever. 
And then I'd go in between innings. So what was the plan? I didn't have one. Yeah, I know. I was watching. But, like, I, you need to know that, you know, like, right. you need to get yourself to that point where you realize, well, I just wasted a, a pitch in that bat because I wasn't coming up here with a plan. I was just, like, I just was aggressive wanting to swing the first pitch. And, like, that's more beneficial than me screaming at him, what are you swinging at? Right. Like, why Why are we swinging at that, at that pitch? What... What? Why did you take that swing? That was an incredibly ugly swing. And then, like, they're both questions. Well, one of those questions, though, is like a is a rhetorical question. Right. Uh, hey, dumb shit. Right. The other one is it is it's genuine curiosity. Like, uh, you know, my uh, my kid uh, had uh, the, the second game that we played on Saturday. He had a very good day. I, I mean, he had a good day. I think Saturday was like largely really good, and he, uh, you know. On the on the way back home on Saturday, um, you know his I think sense of satisfaction was very palpable. It was it was really cool to be around. Um, and then on the game that we had on Sunday, uh, he had over three um, hard hit ball that got caught. Great play by the, the kid who just happened to be in the right spot. Uh, and two third strikes looking. And um, and we got out. Uh, you know we we left the field and we had to go to a, to a family event before we had to get back home. And uh, and I, I'm, I have committed to not initiating these conversations. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I will let there just be like silence in the car other than music. It, because I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to suggest that like, this is some gigantic event that needs to be triaged. Right. So we're driving uh, on like uh, Highway 18 out to Issaquah. And he asked me, he's like, what do you think I could have done differently? And look, uh, I haven't played a competitive game of baseball in pretty close to 30 years. Age alert, age alert. Age alert. Uh, so first of all, like, what am I going to say? Right. What, what, what recent competition experience in this game can I even speak from a position of authority on? Uh, and even if I remember the good old days, uh, I wasn't even that good. So what am I going to say? So he asked me, he's like, uh, what could I have done better? And I'm like, all right, well, um, what, I think what I asked him was, what do you think that you could control that you would change? Um, and that question, and then all the subsequent questions that I asked after that, I think drove him to the place that we eventually landed on, uh, which was a very, very simple one. Um, I think in both of those at-bats where he took called thirds is that there were pitches earlier in the AB that he probably could have found a good barrel on. Mm -hmm. And he was, I think, being a little bit too selective and like, you know, I'm just asking questions, asking questions like, well, you're, you're pretty good about like getting creative and finding a barrel, right? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, well, I know that maybe those pitches are perfect, but like, do you trust yourself enough to find barrels on those pitches? He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, well, uh, umpiring isn't going to be perfect. <laughs> And it never, and it never will be, right? I, I hope that my kid plays the game long enough that, that the standard of umpiring performance goes up. Uh, I'm not gonna hold my breath relative to the entire like ecosystem, like the economic ecosystem of umpiring, which is we don't have enough guys. The guys we have are older and older and older, and there isn't another like upcoming class that's coming behind them. They're either older and older and older, or they are guys who like confrontation. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's what they get, and and now that's the yeah. the, the pool of umpires that we're going from is, is guys who are very old, 
and are constantly asking the kids what the count is, which is just nuts. That's uh, a good idea. Uh, or guys that like the second a coach goes out to ask a question, uh, they're defensive, insulting the coach, chesting them up, whatever. You know, that's that's what we're left with. Yeah, but you know, the the at the end of the day, I'm asking questions and like peeling back the proverbial onion with him to simply go, okay, well, what's what's the simplest the simplest thing here? Your stuff is good. Maybe be a little bit more aggressive just because you trust your stuff, and that's it. And that doesn't mean that you're never going to take another call for third striking in. It's going to happen. Hitting is hard. Umpires aren't perfect. Pitching is going to get better. Hey, it, it happens, right? But I'm just asking questions from this lens of curiosity to try to drive him to simply walk away from this experience with a, a, a learned, informed perspective about what you can control. Because there's a lot of stuff in this game you can't. Can't control that the second baseman was holding the runner on at second for a right-handed hitter and just happened to be standing in the right spot on a hard line drive. Yeah. Hey, man, it happens. Yeah. Um, and I think the same is after the coach had been yelling at him the past, the previous few plays to get off the base faster. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's just like, hey, man, that, that stuff's going to happen. And I think the same thing is true uh, for pitching, right? Um, pitching is difficult. Uh, the size of the target is relatively small compared to the distance, and that only expands over time. And, uh, and, and I can't tell you, man, how many times I've heard, and I, like we've heard, um, well, you've got to get into your legs more. Like, what does that mean for a child? How do you, in, how do you interpret that uh, to help you perform any better? Yeah. And, and like, first of all, most of us, myself included, my iSoto, my, my, you know, 3D marker-based OptiTrack eyeballs are not good enough to even like see kids moving, see the variation from pitch to pitch to pitch to pitch because they're children, and then go like, here's the one thing that I'm gonna try to tell you. Like, and I work here, yeah. and I've been coaching youth baseball for a long time, and I still feel fundamentally ill-equipped to make a judgment on a kid that like, hey, here's the one mechanical cue that I'm gonna give you that's gonna like make performance just like dramatically uptick. It just, it doesn't work like that. You know, like uh, when, you know, when my kid was on the bump on Saturday, uh, we had a long offensive inning between um, where he kind of sat on the bench and he came out and it was like hard to, hard to throw strikes. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's, and it's like, it's the best reason that you could be kind of tough trying, trying to find the dish. Right. Uh, we uh, ran through the lineup, like we, we got everybody through, I think like a time or a time and a half or whatever. You sit down for a bit and then you gotta come back and come back out, get on the bump, you have five warm up pitches, and then you gotta find it. Right. And uh, ultimately, I think a lot of this stuff it comes back to the same thing for me. It's just fear by parents and coaches mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm afraid of what it means for me to give you the freedom to try to see how good you can be or not. Right. And because of that fear, I think there's some magical words that I can throw at you that's going to like fix it. That I didn't prepare you enough to go out and compete in this game. Yep. Yep. Which is fair. You know, like it's it's fair. I mean, you and I uh, were were talking last weekend, and then I think Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday about the that weekend's performance, and like didn't feel great about it, right? Like you you don't feel great when the outcome of the work that you're doing results in a non-competitive score. Right. No one's going to feel good about that. Right. And and that's that was 
Last week was a really tough week. Yep. Uh, because you're, we are pretty confident uh, because we've got you know scientific method and data to back us that like Weird. we are preparing these kids for game plan. Yeah. Um, and then a weekend like that happens, and there's you know someone on my left shoulder saying, "Well, it's one weekend, right? Like regression to the mean. It was one bad weekend. It's going to be fine." And there's someone on my right shoulder that's, okay, but what if this keeps happening, right? Like, are we doing enough to prepare these kids? And they're like, I know we are, but that can be hard when you're in a game or like in that and there's non-competitive results. It can be really hard to not want to throw everything away and, and try something new and rather than just like stay the course and know like, okay, this is working. These kids are getting better. And like, they will be playing competitive baseball very soon, very soon, which, for all of those teams was less than a week later. Yeah. That they're back playing yeah. much more competitive baseball and like, especially early in the year, sometimes you gotta take your lumps a little bit. Yeah. And like really remember what it feels like to be in competition in a tournament in a league game setting with umpires that are not great. Yeah. Because a lot of times in here we got computerized umpires. Yeah. And they can get a little too comfortable with the computerized umpires and But but again like Every kid could use development, but depending on where they are in that kind of like developmental timeline, not every kid might be ready for competitive tournament select club baseball. And I, I don't know, you know, I think about this a, a lot, and I think this, this still does kind of relate to the same conversation about in-game coaching, right? We, um, we don't really cut kids. Like, I, you know, most, most of the time when kids come in and if they have a good attitude, good parents, in so much as we can discern and you know we'll give them a shot um and i think we're really permissive that way from like 14u on down 15u for sure like is is, is really hard because now you're talking about high school baseball and it, it's that part is really tough um I, I it's just it's really difficult but um because we're i think more permissive that way um because we know that our stuff works because we know that we can help kids get better and give them leverage on probably some of the tools that they're gonna lack the most. Um, you don't have infinite time. You can't do all the things. So you have to make like this leverage choice about where am I gonna distribute my chips uh, to get you as ready as possible with the time that I have. But then once you get to that point, there is like learning is going to happen in competition. So this this question about like in-game coaching, in-game coaching, is a question of like, well, how do you, how do you have kids be receptive to those learning opportunities? How do you not get them in the way? How do you uh, showcase this curiosity, not judgmental perspective on the outcome of a kid that's developing? Right. You know, I, I just, you know, we don't, we don't treat anything else in learning this way. Nope. Like, like literally, literally nothing. Uh, but in sport, there's this very reductive perspective that like, well, um, I don't care about learning, I care about result. And, and this is the exact, like, this is where we land. You know, this is where we land is you can have kids who, um, for better or worse, have, uh, they love this stupid game, this incredibly frustrating, impossibly complex game they have a parent that wants to uh, help them further that interest and to kind of have any idea where it goes, nobody knows. 
Um, but then you get this resulting competition. Or uh, specific to this conversation, you have a kid be in a situation where it's clear that they don't know what to do or they don't know how to react. And, you know, like uh, 10U, 11U, 12U, right? I, I know I was that guy that like from the third base uh, coaching box or from the dugout or whatever, um, hey, you know, one down, check two, go, you know, like check two, go one, right? Uh, check three, go, whatever. I, I did all the things. I, I tried to, I knew that my players by and large didn't have kind of the game awareness that they could take autonomy on that process of talking about the situation. So I tried to like patch up the hole. And I think about all these years of coaching rec ball or club ball where I did that and I wonder what type of questions I could have asked instead. Yeah, that's fair. I could have asked questions. I, I could have just, I could have done the same thing and simply asked a question. Katie, what do you got? Right? Like I'm, I'm talking to my shortstop or I'm talking to my catcher. I, I could have just asked a question. And in that moment, I'm either going to get they know it or they don't. And if they don't know it, it's okay. I can be them to support. Uh, hey, uh, take the out at two. Well, hey, no, we got, we got two outs. Um, let's just assume we're going to make the play to one because that's probably the easier play. I'm not going to worry about trying to get that runner. Let's go easy bag. In that moment, I am explaining them my process for how to think about this thing, the thing that's gonna increase their performance as best as possible, raises the, uh, raises the likelihood that we get out of this inning. But I'm doing that from like this decision tree, what do you got? What do you, what do you got? Letting them talk their way through it and figure it out because you're not always gonna be there. Yeah. And like in the middle of the game, I can't stop the game and tell them what they need to do I was talking to one of the coaches this weekend who uh, was very surprised um, that my kid, my catchers call their own pitches. Oh, I can't believe on my notes I didn't write anything down about uh, coaches calling pitches for kids because yeah. let's get into it, please. Yeah, and um, you know, he, he like why? Why do you do that? Well, if I do it every time, they're never. They're just mimicking what I'm telling them to do. They're never going to like learn for themselves. And he truly, the other coach said, what if they make a bad call? And I just like kind of sit there and I was like, that's okay. We'll talk about it right after yep. this. And it happened in that game later, like one inning later, where my starter goes strike one, strike two with the breaking ball. And this, the one was taken, one was swung and they both looked up. Like real up, like very uncomfortable. They tripled up on the breaking ball. What happened? You better one in the gap. Liner in the gap. Liner in the gap. We, okay, it happens. They come back to the dog, we talk about it. Yeah. I'm fine with their process. Yeah. Was, hey, they looked really ugly on those two swings. And I said, I'm fine with you guys doing that. Now, you hadn't shown him the fastball that I bad. Yeah. He's maybe looking for the breaking ball because it was ugly. You could probably blow his drugs off. Yeah. But that's okay because you guys are thinking through it and you have like a justifiable reason for why you did what you did. It wasn't just like, oh, well, coach told me to triple up on the breaking ball or whatever it was. But like this coach was like truly like bewildered as to why I let them call their own pitches. Amusingly, I had a conversation with the catcher in that situation because I was in my car as so I was driving him home. Yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. <laughs> and, uh, and I and I asked. Uh, and I asked, I asked about that. I was like, um, so 
what were you, what was the thought there? And it was the exact same thing he said to you. And, um, and he said to me, because we were talking through it and he, he was talking about basically what you said. And he's like, it's like that, you know, I think I get it now. It's like, yeah, like you do, you get it now because you had an opportunity to see, I'm going to, uh, express ownership of this call. I'm going to see what the result ended up being. And now you're going to be back in that situation again, right? Like our kids, there's a bunch of kids on our team that feel like really gross stuff. Our catcher's going to be in there, and you're going to see a couple of bad swings. And now it's like, okay, look, uh, maybe you can't triple up on that breaking ball, uh, but it should be one of those like pound, like I'm, I'm pounding the ground with my catcher's glove, right? This should not be in the zone. I'm trying to just simply get a chase swing or elevated heater. Like I mean, all the all that stuff in the playbook that like we get because we've seen it. They have to learn it. Right. In the I, I just, you can't tell me that the best way to learn that is not this model of giving them autonomy and then asking them questions. Right. And what I tell them from the beginning of the year, although I've, I've been with it with this group of kids for a while, and that's a really the beginning of my time with them, is every one of you pitches. Pitch, uh, and everyone of you hits, because I don't have any BLs, right? So they're all two-way players. If you're a pitcher trying to figure out what to throw, or if you're a catcher trying to figure out what to call, think about what would make going cover holes better. Yeah. And do that. Do that thing. Um, don't think of what you would call the show or like what a big hitter <laughs> would call that you would see, right? Like, yeah. Think of what would make you uncomfortable if you were bad. Now, you just saw two breaking balls. Are you maybe sitting on it again and waiting for him to throw a third breaking ball? Now I got like kind of a better idea of where this is going to break and where my barrel needs to be. And are you hoping he doesn't throw a fastball? Because yeah. probably. Yeah. And like... You're sitting up there like, oh yeah, throw it again, do it again, do it yeah. again, see what happens. Yeah. And don't do it again. Yeah. Right? Like and every, every kid, every batter on our team would have that, like, like I dare you to throw it again. I dare you to throw it again. Right. And we did it, right? And like that's not thinking through it in that lens, yeah. right? And and I, I push that lens as much as I can. We lose it when we're in the middle of competition. Sometimes you need to fail to remember that lesson. And so like weird dude. How I wouldn't you? call that barrel a failure, right? Like yeah. it it was a good swing. It was a really good swing. Like it happens. Uh, and nobody like pitcher wasn't upset about it. Catcher wasn't upset about it. But like, especially because I had that conversation with the coach the inning earlier. Yeah. I was like kind of laughing to myself in my head. Like, yeah. He would definitely be like, well, he's calling his own kids yeah. pitches, so he would not have called the third breaking ball there. Uh, he also probably wouldn't have called the breaking ball in the first pitch of the at bat because yeah. they, that's not a thing most people do. But. I was just like, yeah, he would probably be yelling at these kids right now for, for making that choice to throw that pitch. And it's like, we're learning on here. Yeah. We're, we're getting better. And I think that was one of the things that I had conversation with a bunch of parents about going into this year was, um, you know, we do, when we're in the facility, we do a lot of skill development. And we can't do that when we get into games. So skill development is over when we get into games. Yeah. We can develop competitiveness in games. So, and those are two separate things that need yeah. to be paired together if you're going to get the best out of these kids, is you need to develop skill and you need to develop the competitiveness to, to apply that skill in game-like situations. Yeah. If we're trying to continue to develop the skill in games, we are missing out on being able to develop the competitiveness to use what you have and compete with it. Yeah. And, and just like play the game with what you have yeah. instead of like constantly trying to think of it from a a lens of development, which is like funny coming from us because like we are the development people. But like when you're in a game, you're there's nothing you're gonna get. Yeah. 
the feedback loop isn't there. That's the most important thing for us for development wise. Yeah. It's not there. We're not getting that feedback loop. So you can still develop things. It's just not what we're working on here. And the more you yell to players or try to coach mechanically things in game, the less opportunity you're giving yourselves to develop the perseverance that we're trying to get out of these kids to adapt from failure. Yeah, and it's like, I, there's a part of me that wonders if those coaches who are hyper-aggressive about, uh, I guess, what's the best way to frame this? Like skill coaching and game coaching simultaneously, they almost have to take that approach because of the way that they've distributed their chips. If you have all of your chips on the gameplay side in terms of you're gonna spend, um, we were looking at somebody else's website last week. <laughs> Uh, this is an organization uh, in an area of the country uh, that I will be intentionally non-specific of. Uh, this organization uh, claimed that they are the most technologically advanced facility in their local area. Um, I happen to know an organization that's also in their local area that um, probably has more technology in their podcast room than they do in their training floor. Uh, Being very non-specific here. Very non-specific. Um, and, and what they what they had on there was like um, you know we're we're a tournament we're a tournament team we're a tournament team but we're also going to develop. Insight. I, I think it was we're uh, we play in tournaments. We believe like that sentence one. Yeah. Play in tournaments. Sentence two. We also believe in development. Sentence three. We believe that the best way to develop players is playing in tournaments. I th I'm pretty sure that that was like the first three sentences of their first one. And it's like, oh boy. So, so from that lens, right, it, it makes sense to me when you see those coaches that are just kind of like hyper-aggressive coaching everything right. because they don't have the opportunity to kind of like uh, discrete skill focus. Again, infinite game, everything is competition, whatever. But like discrete skill phase and then discrete competition phase. If you don't have both of those things, you, I, it makes sense to me that you're like, you're compelled to uh, dig into some kid's ear about the way that they're uh, getting on their front leg or their back leg or the, I mean, all the other salad ass shit that we see all the time, they're doing that and they're also calling all the pitches and they're also talking to 14, 15, 16 new teams like they're rec 10 year olds about situation and structure and plan about defensive execution. They are coaching these kids on the base path same way. I mean, it's, it's all encompassing. And you have to, because you can't treat them separately. Right. Which means, because you don't have a discrete focus, you have a very watered down, like you're not gonna get the development needs. Right. We happen to see a kid this year, uh, I don't think I told you this, who uh, was on a, one of our teams um, two years ago. He left, uh, we had our kids, um, you know, we have Pocker AR, whatever, because we catalog our velas, kind of know where we're going. Um, the kid is throwing slower than he did two years ago. So like you can tell me throwing strikes. Uh, uh, I mean, it was probably 50, 55% like everybody else. Are you saying that it's more important to throw competitive pitches than it is to throw strikes? Oh, I, I digress. Mean, I would never say something That's so heinous. Um, so it's like you can tell me, oh yeah, the velocity is going to come. Is it? You had two years of natural development, you're slower than you were two years ago. Why? And like, the velocity is gonna come, but what is that number that's gonna come, 75? Uh, it would be nice if you could get back to 61. But like, uh, I assume younger. It's 14 you now, oh. it was 12 you then. Okay. 
Yeah, well, I was like, like saying, if you're talking about like younger kids, like there's gonna be some biological development, which is gonna sure. give parents the wrong signal that like it's working. Yep. It's like, well, yeah, he grew, he hit puberty, he got bigger, but like that's gonna plateau, and like he's not gonna be throwing out of the mid seventies if he's not training it. Yeah, getting getting that kid back into the sixes would be uh, would be a good. Yikes. Yeah. So um, related but, to what we talked about last episode about construction of like competitive high school players, but anyways. Yeah. And to your point about like. D in the car saying, what could I have done better? That's what these guys are, you know, sometimes the answer is nothing. Which is... But if you are coaching third, and every time a kid takes a swing or does something that you don't like, you're just sitting there feeding him excuses of what he could have done better. Sure. That is all they're going to take away from this. And something happened uh, before our first game. They The boys wanted to know... a.m. on Saturday and they wanted to warm up on the infield on the turf part of the infield because the grass was wet and God forbid we get wet when it's about to be I got a little risk coach the the best day of Seattle weather that we've had this year and they were worried about getting wet at 7.50 anyways I said no we're not upsetting the baseball bats one of my children who I love love them dearly said uh, explicit warning fuck the baseball bats now, it was funny, um, but I used it all weekend. Yeah. Because that's a really good, like, when things didn't go our way. And, and we didn't do anything wrong, but right. things didn't go our way. We hit two rocket line drives, both of them turned into double plays in the RV. Right. We hit that ball directly, Danny hit that ball directly at the shortstop, who was standing on second base because he hadn't gotten off he the base. He shouldn't be there. Because he shouldn't have been there. We angered the baseball guys. This is... There's nothing you're doing wrong here. And I used it all weekend, right? Like he said it and I knew it immediately that like, oh, I I can like, I can use this. Like anytime anything goes wrong, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's the baseball guy's fault. Because we angered them by by saying fuck the baseball guys. And so like now they're coming back at you. So like, hey, some weekends it's like this. We're like, we out hit a team 15 to six and and we don't win that game. We lose that game by a runner. And the kids I know are sitting there thinking, what could I have done better? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not say fuck the baseball guy before the Saturday first game. Probably. Right? Like in that it's, you know, they immediately you can see them not blaming themselves. Yeah. Because they want to. They want to blame themselves. They want to blame each other when things don't go right. And if there's another entity you can blame it on, like, you feel like you have to blame it on something. I think, I think that's a way that they think that they have power. Right. Like you're trying to find power, find leverage in a situation where sometimes there is not. Most of the time, there is not. We control what we can. Yeah. That you can't control, you know, I will say, I'm, heard you, I'm sure you've heard me say this, like, hey, if we're going to catch a barrel, we cannot hit it directly to the other team. Right? And that's like, my kids know I'm joking about that, but like, hey, that's me telling you the process was great. Yep. We can't control what happens when that bat leaves that ball leaves the bat. We hit it hard and then whatever happens happens. That's all you can do is hit it hard somewhere. You hit it hard, you hit into a double play, you cannot hang your head about that. The only way you're turning a double play at 14 is if you hit the pits on the ball. Oh yeah, most of the time that's the only way that you have the time. Right. Yeah. And like you have to have a piss rod. And I was very grateful for that that ability to blame the baseball guns. Uh, and take that blame that they were throwing on themselves and each other and put it somewhere else yeah. 
because there just can't, there didn't need to be blame. They played great, and the outcome didn't go their way. They lost a, one of the better baseball games I've seen in 14 years. Like, just a really well-played game of baseball yep. rounds. And, yep. like, you, the contrasting styles were there, right? Like, yep. uh, they bunted a lot. They, they played a lot of small ball and put up runs with small ball. Yep. We played a lot of, let's hit some line drives in the gaps and, yeah. and score runs that way. And it, it was relatively even, right? It was, like, it was, it was a really good game. Baseball. And, like, no blame needs to be put on anybody, but you know they're going to do it. Yeah, so which, I was grateful to to blame it on the baseball bats, which I recommend if you're if you're a listener, always blame it on the baseball bats. Which I think dovetails into the thing we wanted to, to wrap up about a little bit, which is the internal voice, like acknowledging the reality of what that is for for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen extreme emotional variance and reaction from kids age, I don't know, seven through twelve. Um, and I typically lay that at the feet of the Gene Piaget cognitive versus formal operational stage, um, or concrete versus formal operational stage. Let me get my stuff together. Um, 13 and 14 though is, is, you know, in these high school age kids too, cause I've, I've seen that as well. It's, it's an interesting thing, um, where I've seen it more than once kids who have this like extremely competitive composition of their character. And some of that uh, is motivated, I think, by like this incredibly negative internal voice. Mm-hmm. And the, the tough thing is that like, it's inherently hard to hear that voice if uh, you're my teammate. I can be very negative with myself. I can be, uh, I can be agonizingly and painfully negative in my own analysis and perception of my own performance, but because it's just an internal narrative, if we're in the dugout together, you're not gonna hear it. So then if I do say something that is basically in the same, it's the same, same voice. the same voice, but about something that wasn't directly uh, affecting me, it can kind of get inferred like, um, like I'm crapping on a teammate. And I, and I think that that's accurate. I think that the problem is, is that nobody really, we don't have the technology to get inside of these kids' head and hear the way that they talk to themselves. Thank God. Thank God. Um, but then sometimes, I mean, I, you know, you, I, I've, you know, I've heard it from my own kids who are like incredibly hard on themselves. Um, I've, I've seen it from, from other kids who like, they'll, they'll feel like a failure and they don't want to participate in this game because of the way that it makes them feel. And then we have coaches who double down on that stuff. Uh, and it's like, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point, which is very different um, than like the positive coaching alliance concept of cup filling. Right. Right. And maybe it's not even PCA's concept. It's just like, you know. Uh, tank filling, actually, is PCA's. Okay, tank right, filling. The, the, the sure. thing. Tank, cup, whatever. Um, making a kid feel good about themselves, right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, this is exactly why if I had a choice between two coaches, one that was obsessed with winning, and one that was obsessed with development, I will take the development guy 10 times out of 10 because that's the thing that these kids need most. Sure, you may have some outliers in there, right? You may have some kids who like are so negative on themselves that it pushes them 
to train hard and it pushes them to be focused in competition. I'm like, sure. Like, but that's where you gotta get to know the kids well enough to yeah. know how to fill the emotional cups of these kids. Yeah. Some of these kids, it's by gassing them up, knowing what they're saying in their head and like saying the exact opposite to whatever degree you can, even though they may be reacting poorly to other teammates. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you have to get to know the kids you're coaching to be able to know whether tank, cup, whatever it is, is empty and needs filling. If you don't take the time to get to know them up front, you're not going to know when their tank needs filling the most. And the other layer of that, and the thing that we kind of didn't, we talked a little bit about this, is like team culture is something that, yeah, kids are going to take inference about the way that the adults behave, but it's also something that they control themselves. Right. And I will tell you, uh, I felt really flipping good in the stands this weekend because for, I don't know, I guess since October, right? Uh, when, I'm, when I'm just walking around the floor watching stuff, we have enough coaches and trainers that I don't do anything, just to make that clear for anybody that doesn't uh, know the way that we structure this thing. I just walk around and I try to say positive shit. One of the positive things that I have said for months now it's very simple. Two words. Nobody better. And, and like, on its face, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because one kid will come into the cage, hey, man, nobody better. Go get it. And then the next kid comes in the stage, nobody better. Well, clearly, logically, this is failing, a, a, like, a, a reason test, right? Well, yes and no, right? Because it, it's, you're saying nobody better, but you're not saying that there aren't people just as good. Sure, sure. Right? That's, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes and no, logically, but yeah. That's true. Um, but the reason that I was just like happy as the proverbial uh, pig in feces is I heard I heard the kids saying that to each other. Yeah, and that's when I know. And I was uh, like, man, I so the kid that struck out looking yeah. to end the game was in his head a bit all weekend, yeah. and I was when that uh, he took a very ugly strike one, a very ugly strike two and stepped out of the box and took a massive deep breath. And that was something I've been working on with him. And I didn't have to say anything. I saw him take the deep breath, which is why it was as gutting to me as it was, that he had a great process, takes the next pitch, it's in the other batter's box, and they call it a strike. Yeah. Um, and so you had uh, clipped the video. You sent it to me. I sent it to him. Yeah. And I said, look at this. Right, like your process is there. You cannot like keep your head up. You cannot get down on yourself because of this. This was the right decision. Correct. And he responded, my head couldn't be higher. I think we played a great weekend of baseball. I'm controlling what I can control. Hell yeah, dude. And that's when, and like this is gonna sound like weird, maybe creepy, maybe, but like I want their internal voice to be my voice basically. Sure. That's how I know I did a good job as a coach is if they're saying to themselves in their head what I've been saying to them for months, and like really trying to push, which is like control what you can control, which is literally attitude and effort. Anything else, you can't do anything about it. If you can control your attitude and your effort and stay positive and keep giving an A effort, that's all I care about. And like if that's what they're telling themselves in their head when they're failing, then I know I did my job. Yep. And that is a lesson that sports teaches in a specific and unique fashion. Yeah. And it's a lesson. In baseball specifically, yeah. Right, in our game, even more specifically. So, like, 
the reason that we push and we we are um, more permissive about taking kids in at like 10 through 14 that might be behind the curves because I think I, I think we can teach them that lesson that kid might not give us like immediate leverage on winning a tournament in the next nine to 12 months. But number one, I believe that they do get us there in the 12 to 18 or the 12 to 24 after that. And not only that, but I feel really good about delivering that message that informed that young boy or girl about the way that they approach life. So you can miss me with all this obsession over winning bullshit in youth sports. I don't care if you want to take that approach at high school and up college up, whatever, man, do you. But the fucked up part about the number of kids that we lose in this game, which is just like a universally understood thing, millions of kids every single year in the transition from like 7 to 12 and 13 to 18. We lose 1.2 million kids every year. You can go read the Aspen Institute's website, Project Play Initiative. These are real numbers. There are real numbers that took place before COVID, and their real numbers are getting worse after COVID. And we lose this percentage at a disproportionate amount compared to every other sport. When our sport has this amazing capacity to teach this fucking lesson, yeah. that you can help a kid give them a voice in their own head that is reaffirming. Oh, and that, or, and like, you can't do that with every kid, right? So we sure. have one of the sure. And it's not the, not the one you're thinking of, actually. Uh, who's, I have multiple kids because they're children who are very hard on themselves. One specifically, I was trying to get him to work better on, on how he talks to himself in his own head. And he basically said, I don't mind it. I don't mind me being negative in my own head. Like, I think it fuels me a little bit. And I yeah, said, sure. okay, that's fine. What I want you to do is, if you're getting down on yourself every time you fail. Every time you think you do something well, gas yourself up a little bit. Right. Tell yourself, hey, that was really good, right? Like if you're gonna do the one thing, you gotta do the other thing. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw, but there was a kid on my team that took a couple pitches and would go every time when he was in the box. Yeah. And that was something he's been working on to tell himself, hey, that was good. Yeah. So he's not only trash talking himself in his own head, He's also telling himself what he's proud of himself in his own head. Yeah. And like, not every kid is going to be able to completely silence the negativity. I get it. I am one of those people. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a grown ass adult and I still like get very in my own head and can get very negative. And it's a choice that you gotta make to be positive. Oh, right? it's like a choice like, to be positive, right? So like, I'm not, I cannot ask that of these kids to not be negative in their own head when I know that as a grown adult, I don't really have that ability myself. So you just gotta find the, the workarounds, right? And like, that's not a bad workaround. It's like, every time you're mad at yourself and you wanna talk trash to yourself, fine, do it. But you then have to do the other thing. And when you do something well, give yourself some kudos. Yeah. Pat yourself on the back. That's a good thing. You don't always have to be negative. If you want to have that internal monologue and be hard on yourself, you got to give yourself kudos when you get it to. Yeah, and, and, and again, kids might need some balance there, right? right. Like they, they need an adult that's capable of like, hey man, it's okay for you to have some BDE about yourself, yeah. right? Like I, um, I individually very negative in my internal self-talk and uh, I think most humans are. Sure. I, I don't, I think sure. that's like a, a human trait, right? Sure. And like, and I've, um, I have made, you know, uh, I've made 
I don't know, man. I'm, I'm old and shit. So, like, uh, I'm trying to figure out, still uh, approaching 46 this month, uh, trying to figure out how to be the best version of myself. And I have made a concerted effort to try to be a little bit more positive in the small forms of competition that I engage in. So about a, probably like a month, month and a half ago, uh, we were car racing down at PGP. And um, we get to the track and I see this guy walk out and he's got um, Ferrari branded loafers. Yep. Uh, Gotta tell Gotta let him know. A BMW Motorsport shirt. Uh-oh. And uh, in racing gloves. What brand? I, I don't know about that, but it was, I mean, he was probably, I don't know. So it, isn't that like, like wearing, and, that, and here's where I don't know a whole lot about, you know, European racing. Isn't that like wearing a, a Yankee jersey and a Red Sox hat? Yes. Okay. It's just, it, it screams uh, the baseball equivalent of like Hardo. Yeah. You know, like it screams Hardo. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm for sure going to be faster than that guy. Because I can't tolerate being slower than that guy. Uh, first race, you know what? I was slower than that guy. And I was fucking livid about it. Uh, so, uh, second heat, we go back out and like, and he started, uh, he started ahead of me. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna stay on this guy's ass and I'm not gonna lose him. Uh, I definitely like need to clean up my line and you make sure I stay tight with this guy. And I stay tight, I stay tight, we get like two, three laps through, and uh, I'm coming into, let me think about this one, two, three, the fourth turn, which is a big sweeping right hand, it's not a hairpin, but it's a pretty tight, uh, tight in, tight in, tight out. And I'm screaming to myself in my headland, I'm gonna fucking win, faster. Not that, it was like probably three turns later before we got on the main straight. Uh, I definitely didn't have coaches when I was playing sports, specifically when I was playing baseball, that like did any of that type of cut film. No, I mean most coaches don't. Right, right, and uh, so I, you know, I get it. You know, it's it's very easy to kind of be like trite when we see guys like our baseball hardos out there. Um, I think a lot of it, man, is just like hurt people, hurt people. You know, like that's that's the model that that we got back in the day. So I just kind of. I run the same playbook, and um, and I understand why that happens. But like uh, you know, my my lovely wife and I were having a conversation about a friend of ours who uh, has to get his head screwed on straight about some stuff just this last night. And it's like, look, man, we're grown adults at this point. You you can't just act like you don't have autonomy about the choices and decisions that you're making. And if you're that coach who, in terms of in-game coaching, is lighting up kids, uh, trying to like do skill development and competitive development at the same time so you're getting the worst of both worlds. If you are not cup or tank filling, but you are tank emptying, yeah. figure your shit out. Yeah. I, like, I, it's not helping anyone and you are fucking deluding yourself if you think that that's gonna be the best unilateral path to get the most out of these kids. I, I just, you can't, you can't tell me that that's, and it's, and it's not playing out that way. Right? Like, it's, it's just not. If you look at, like, you know, like the young stars in our game, uh, like the Jack Clarks of the world, like. Max Clark. Max Clark. Jack my Clark. Bad. My bad. Jack Clark. Old. Old. Yeah. Old. Sorry. And that's Will Clark. No, there's probably. Jack you know, there was like, just that Jack Clark played for the Red Sox? I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyways, Max Clark. Um, like, Danny showed me this video of him talking the other day, and it's just like, 
the way that he describes the game and his ability to be competitive, it's just like the enjoyment is like fucking palpable. He got coached well. Right. Yeah. And like, and, and again, sure, I, I'm sure that I can devil's advocate myself and go like, hey, look, well, um, the guy plays like, he's really good. He's got a great bat, uh, plays good in the field, and he also throws like 99. So I would be enthusiastic about myself too. I, under, I understand that. But think about all the kids that we are coaching with this incredibly regressive lens on field from age, I don't even know what the fucking floor is anymore. I was going to say seven, but I, I think I... Maybe lower, yeah. From the start, yeah. all the way from 12, 13, 14. All those kids, all this like tank emptying shit that they have to navigate because we can't take responsibility for the emotional outcome of what we give these kids. Right. Because we aren't... Judge, we are curious, we are judgmental. We don't ask questions. And we fear the result of competition outcome from developmentally salad ass kids. And it's not intentional. And I think uh, something that gets lost probably when people view the two of us in Drive On Academy or whatever uh, is just how competitive both you and I are. Uh, we hate to lose. It's I I, it's I hate it. There's nothing worse. I hate it. I don't even compete in anything anymore, yeah. and I still hate failure. Yeah. I went for like a single rep at 275 because I'm trying to build back up the other week. And Curran Jacobs, thank you, Curran, for saving my life because I dumped it on my chest. I couldn't get well. I went for two. I'm sorry. I got the first one. I couldn't get the second one. Whatever. For the next 45 minutes, I had like steam coming out of my ears. I was so angry. I hate losing. And we talked about it last podcast. We both make choices all the time. Conscious. Not, conscious choices to not be that person and be a better role model for the children that we work with and spend time with. We get it because we all we hate losing. Like it sucks more than anything. You know, we we're texting last night, like joking about the fact that like we both really cared about winning that 13U you know, silver tr- championship for no reason. For no reason. Like we both like it it we, there's no reason to be excited about it, but like we were excited about it. We were excited for those kids to, to feel that, especially after some struggles last weekend. Yeah, we're very competitive people. We just make the choice every single time to not be assholes about it, and it's not easy. Like it, it isn't easy as someone who's that competitive uh, to not be, to not let that be the first thing. Um, but you just have to. You have to, and like those are the people we want working for us and there's the kids we want and like we we hire for that and you know we filter for that in tryouts and things like that i think as an adult man you just you have to take uh this isn't even extreme uh ownership you know jocko style this is just ownership yeah you you have to take ownership of the experiences you create for these kids uh i understand like you said it's not easy i've gone through pca training for probably the last like six years that I was coaching rec ball. And then again, just this last year now that we brought it to Academy and I still, I still have to check myself. Yeah. I, we did a youth baseball development certification that's all about this stuff. And I'm telling you that I'm not perfect at it. And I still have to make a conscious, deliberate choice to be that way. But that doesn't mean that I can give myself a pass or an excuse if I didn't. Correct. I find myself in game thinking more about my body language than about actual defensive positioning or strategic like game pitch calling or whatever like 
I am very aware, or I try to be, of what I'm conveying via my body language. Because the kids are watching. Because they're watching. They're watching. And like, even if they're not watching, they feel it. They can sense it. They can tell. And like, I find myself thinking about that way more than a lot of other things that people would think you'd think about during games. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm sure that like, maybe pro, pro coaches don't have to deal with this. You know, like, I I don't know. I was in those rooms, they do. I mean, maybe they have to deal with it, they don't. Sure. Probably, but they have to. Sure. Um, but to whatever degree that's true, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably could keep baseball. Our, uh, our context, our consequence is very different. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. Uh, and, you know, again, I think from all this stuff, um, coaching body language, the, the environment that you cultivate for your team culture to kind of like, you know, what, what seeds are you planting? The way that you can be either tank filling or like shooting holes in the tank, like all that stuff, man. Um, it all is designed to have a specific outcome, which is that kids walk away from this game feeling good about it, feel good about their participation, feel good about what they took from it in terms of life lessons that are evergreen when their athletic career is not. And that to me is just like the, the thing that matters most. Uh, and that's why I think both of us really like care about this deeply. And we will be like kind of embarrassed about the fact that we are very happy for this team. Uh, not only the team that won a ship, but also the team that got boat race, boat race last year. I was more happy for them. That team playing competitive baseball it just it's everything yeah and again you know people remember the way that you make them feel uh i am pretty sure that like you know again some of those kids wouldn't be had an opportunity to play and train and develop as evaluated by other programs because it's like what can you do for me that's not how we see it that's not how we evaluated and now we're teaching i mean People can go see Game Changer. So I'll, I'll say the result. Sure. That team lost 29-2 to two last Sunday. A little bit of that was personal. Oh, uh, of that, yeah. uh, that running up the store was personal. Yeah. Um, it's my bad. <laughs> we had a kid tell us that was a Sunday. We had a kid tell us Monday morning, send me a message. No, Sunday night. I think it was Sunday night. He sent me a message. No amount of 27 run losses will stop me from coming back. And that was like, because in my head, it would stop me. Right. right. And like, that's how we know we're, I know we're doing this right. Is because like, we're building kids like that who are resilient in these situations. And one of the kids on my team who uh, is a large Cubs fan, which, you know, doesn't super happen often up in the Pacific Northwest. I'm sitting there listening to him tell his teammates after the game that we're just like the 2015 Cubs. That's so gas, dude. We're one year early, right? Like we, yeah. we were putting it all together yeah. and we're a little earlier than we thought we'd be because most of my kids didn't think they'd be really like actually competitive until we hit high school. Yeah. Because like that's what we've been telling them, right? Yeah. Like this is all geared towards you being a competitive high school baseball player. We were fine last year. We were competitive yeah. last year. Yeah. We didn't really get, I don't think we got mercy many times at all if we did last year. And if we did, it was only because we ran out of pitching because we wouldn't do the other thing, which is a burnout. Just burnout, right. Yeah. And uh, so that was, he was telling them, like, we're just like that, right? Like, 
they made a run, and it didn't go, they didn't make it, they didn't finish it. And that's where we're at right now, is we keep making these runs and we're just not getting over that final hump, but we like, we are one game, one tournament away from, being, from turning into the 2016 Cubs, yeah. where now we're just winning it all and we've got the confidence in the world. Yeah. And then it's my job to make sure they don't turn into the 2017, 2018 <laughs> Cubs, right? Like, then, then, then the development sure. stalls out a little bit, sure. and like, we saw sure. the best year most of these guys got, yeah. Happened in 16 rep. But yeah, I'm not worried about that. When like that's those are the kinds of things that they're talking about, that's it's so validating as a coach to like hear that because like I was so bummed because I am super confident that if we pulled off that first win, we're walking home with whatever stupid plastic metal yeah. they give us that I would have cared so much about. Um <laughs> and like that sucks. Like I wanted to play a full day of baseball on Sunday and, and it got cut short and like we left chances on the table. Yeah. We got screwed by some bad calls. Baseball guns. The baseball guns. Yeah. The baseball guns. And not for nothing, one two one of my kids with the assist from another pulled me away from getting ejected by an umpire. And like, it's those types of things that like I know they're learning things outside of baseball. Yep. Learning how to treat other people. Learning how to handle situations. Telling me, hey, coach, like it is like we're gonna move on. It's not that big of a deal. Like he messed up the call. It's fine. We're gonna move on. It's not that big of a deal. Yep. That's that's the reason why sport participation is important. But but you can't just go like, well, it's just like these kids are all gonna be better humans than I. It's it's the other thing, right? It is it is teaching cup filling. It is it is it is teaching kids to have balance in the way that they talk to themselves internally. It's teaching them to be. Uh, responsible for the culture that they create. And, uh, and again, all of that stuff is all reflective in the way that we coach and don't coach on a field. Right. It's all the same thing. The words, uh, we didn't touch on this, but it's also, I can't be the only one filling up cups and takes. A hundred percent. And like that's creating an environment where the players are filling up their each other's tanks is way more valuable than anything I can say. Because eventually my message gets stale. But like them filling each other's tanks up constantly throughout the game, like it works. Yep. It works really well. Yep. It works a hell of a lot better than the other thing. Yep. Like the, the crabs in the bucket, man, you can't have that. Yep. So uh, yeah, in the, in the words of the great Pusha T, how will you respond? Uh, what we're looking for is for kids that can take autonomy and take authority about the way that they respond because they were granted the freedom to do so because coaches ask questions instead of like dictating. Right. That, that's just that's just the thing at the end of the day. Um, I don't really have like a funny thing for us to end on. Um, no so, game today? No game today, no How super. How am I gonna get no my super, Johnson fashion now? Yeah, no super dark like nihilistic quote. Oh. But you want to play the roulette thing again? No, but Chad sent me something. I oh, I didn't really like, I didn't warm up the I didn't warm up the instrument for a dramatic reading. Um, good friend uh, Chad Longworth, uh, friend of the program. Um, boy, so Chad has. Uh, I think I did another one of these from last week, but Chad had the misfortune of um, oh, posting something on Facebook um, about uh, kids competition. I think playing two games or whatever. Um, Oh boy, uh, so here's here's the quote. I didn't really practice this one. I'm not sure how, how good this is gonna be. So so Chad's basic point was just like, a lot of what we talked about today, which is just like balance in the way that you approach competition and coaching and teaching young boys and girls. Uh, our good friend Scott, 
Scott, uh, Scott looks like a happy guy, you know? He does. Like He does look like Scott a happy guy. doesn't look like a hardo, uh, but Scott's, uh, Scott's uh, right in here, the opposite. This is pathetic. Boys, being boys, play sports with their dads in many cases. Bunch of wishy-washy parents on here don't spend a day, a week with their kids and come on here to complain. Um, I, okay, what? fine. I mean, that's kind of uh, like, it's hard to do like the universal barometer about like who's spending time with their kids and who isn't. I mean, I, I know I talked to my uncles back in the day and like my grandparents would just like drop them off in the field. Like as a generation of parents, we very much are the ones who are like, we're at practice and we're at the games and we're like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is in reference to, correct me wrong, but a post about like pitch count abuse? Um, yeah, largely. Yeah. Um, well, how does that have anything to do with throwing too many pitches? Yeah, well, teaching a boy to compete to be the best takes hard work and dedication. Yep, I agree. Well, I agree. I agree with it. Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, you it know. takes hard work and dedication to teach a kid how to compete. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of like life lessons. Uh, hits it with like the triple period, which is odd because it's not like a... Oh, that's an ellipsis. It's not a triple period. That's an ellipsis. That, that's leaving something unsaid. But like it kind of isn't because then he capitalized like the next word after it. I, I oh, yeah. Think, that's... I don't think our buddy sad. Scott is... Not uh, super literate. Scott, maybe a little hard work and dedication on grammar. Yeah, maybe. Maybe something to think about. Uh, these are where life lessons come from. Winning and losing, and how to take either. Okay, so so Scott is sucking us in with like something I would like largely agree with. Yeah, those those last three sentences, I'm like, okay, where where are we going? Where how's this ending? <laughs> take a wild a wild turn here. Uh, <laughs> these are where life lessons come from. Winning and losing, and how to take either. What does a Game Boy teach? Game Boy. Uh, hasn't been made since long time since I was a child. Yeah, Scott, yeah. buddy, it's the Switch now. Uh, what does a Game Boy teach? Video killing. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's weird that like video killing. Yeah. So we had um, last week, you know, uh, uh, curveball elbow or Tommy John was preferable to video game thumb. Yep. And now this very binary uh, sports are practicing like a murder simulation. Um, but like, I'm not a psychologist. But to put on that hat for a second, right? Like, this guy was raised a certain way, uh -huh. and doesn't like the and thinks that that was the the right way and the only way, and is just like afraid because he doesn't understand kids today. Like he probably has a kid who I would. Guess, call it an educated guess, if you will, uh, likes to play video games and he has struggled to connect what? with this kid who likes to play video games. Yeah. Uh, and like doesn't understand that that's not that bad of a thing. It's okay. Um, now, again, I, I will like not totally disagree as a child who would throw the controller when he would get angry at losing certain games in video games. Uh, my good friends, uh, who sometimes listen to this podcast, know that I have put multiple holes in walls because of video games. Right. So if that tells you anything about my competitiveness there, imagine what it looked like in the other environment. Right, but like, how does that, you know, I, I, if someone was coaching me playing video games, I'd probably be well more well-behaved, and I don't really play video 
games anymore. But like, yeah, yeah, I was known in college as a guy who threw his controller when he would lose game then, right? Like, and yeah, everyone, would, yeah, and everyone would be like, "You're kind of an idiot for caring so much about this." I'm like, I just hate losing. But like, they were right. I was kind of an idiot about being that upset about losing a game Madden, just like kids are kind of idiots about being that upset about losing a game baseball. And the the humans in general are kind of idiots. And the interesting thing to me is like, uh, think about what the video game landscape uh, presents relative to sport, relative to this entire conversation we've had. There aren't adults in there who are like coaching these kids up. Right. Like, like honestly. Yeah. So like, Scott, I get it. You don't want these kids to be on the Game Boy? My man. Game Boy Advance, maybe? Yeah. Game Boy 3D? What, the D, uh, no, DS wasn't, that was just a, a different That's just a different hand. Game Boy Color, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my cousin David uh, had the Game Boy 3D thing. Uh, whatever that studio Did it come was. With glasses? Yeah, it had like a whole headset. You wore it for like 20 minutes and you got a massive headache. It's electric. Um, Kids enjoy that environment that games uh, provide, video games, because there aren't adults yelling at them. Right. And like, the, the differentiation couldn't be any more clear. Any sport, baseball, basketball, soccer, uh, hockey, football, whatever, there are coaches. There aren't video game coaches. But like, a lot of times, people who like disagree with us will get so close to that point of right. like they understand where like, yeah, back in my day, we would just like ride our bikes over the field and play, and everything was fine. Yeah, because there were no parents screaming and yelling at you. It was just like you and your friends. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you are, we don't live in that world anymore. Right. Where like kids are just gonna go ride their bikes and recreate the movie The Sandlot right. in right. in uh, a local park. Right. You gotta rent local parks right. in Seattle. There might be transients in local parks that you're not gonna like send your kid. You know, the field sweep for needles right there, doesn't right, that? Right, like, uh, like um, I, I agree with you, man. I wish we still lived in that world. We don't, um, but like, you're so close to realizing why you are so nostalgic for that world. And it's because that was a great time as a kid because there weren't adults telling you you're doing it wrong. The, the Sandlot environment it is uh, uncoached. It is self and there's self-stratification and is self-regulating. Mm-hmm. We played until the sun went down or we got tired. Yeah, that's different than somebody telling you, hey, uh, I know you threw on Thursday and you're gonna start this game on Saturday and then you're gonna pick up another 60 on Sunday and then you're gonna close out the third game on Sunday. That, that's gotta be hypothetical, right? That's not a, a thing that absolutely happened this weekend. That's allegedly. Uh, <laughs> you're right, they just, they get so close. They're so, We're so just close. Like, it's like I, this this panacea that we had in this American dream of like the Sandlot. Well, how can we can't? Why aren't we there? Because of all of this shit. Because of the way that adults conduct themselves in this environment. Because of the way that you coach in game. Because of the way that you coach in practices. Because of the way that you don't fill tanks. So, so if you want kids to give up the Game Boy, Scott, don't fucking do that. You can do the other thing, it just takes a deliberate choice, and if you need resources, do that. Youth Baseball Development Certification, the book that we have coming out, Positive Coaching Alliance, Inner Game of Tennis, like all of this stuff. I also feel like if you didn't want kids to play Game Boy, just hide the double batteries. Oh, dude. I actually found my uh, Game Boy like a couple weeks ago, and of course it had like four or five or six or however many double A's <laughs> in there. To 14. Yeah, it's just like this massive acid corroded thing I should just like throw in the trash compactor. Now it's char- charging cords. You just need one cord. Yeah. You hide the batteries, kids won't know how to play Game Boy. That's true. That's true. Um, 
Shout out to my buddy Robbie that I played basketball with back in the day, but at TurboGrafx 16. That's a shout out. You think Robbie listens? No, I think Robbie's life went sideways. Oh. After, yeah. So he, he should listen, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah maybe. We're going on life lessons here. Yeah, this is. Yeah, it's never too late. Yeah, Robbie. Yeah. He had a TurboGrafx 16, though, so like, it, whether his, you know, his home life was in complete chaos and that played itself out in terms of his own life. Uh, he was the envy of our little circle because he had a TurboGrafx-16. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what we'll talk about next time. I got nothing planned, uh, but I think this in-game coaching one, man, is just like, uh, and someone uh, referred me to somebody else on Twitter the other day, and uh, he was saying, hey, like, his Devin's never bunt philosophy is gonna like force me to stretch stretch my perspective. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, uh, you could disagree with everything else we talk about in terms of skill acquisition and development. If you take something positive out of this podcast, maybe you can do a better job of filling tanks for these kids. Win. Fine. Fuck it. Just fine. Yeah, it's a big win. It's a big win. It's a big win. I, I typically do my sarcastic thing like, well, we're wrong. I, I, I don't give a shit. If you just do that thing, if you conduct environment in the way that you coach your players that is more conductive for them, uh, to learn these lessons where you are more curious than you are judgmental, you don't do this emotional manipulation crap, I, I don't care. And just, fine, do that. Because I think both of us are pushing towards the thing that we want, which is uh, something to be extracted out of this experience that is informative for the rest of your life relative to that length versus the length of your athletic career, which is very short. So, that's all I got. Thank you guys. Uh, man, again, like pod numbers are, are jumping uh, well over 7,000 now. Uh, thank you guys. Like, subscribe, do all the algorithmic things. We very much appreciate it. Um, I think in the summertime, I'm going to play around some merch. We'll do some merch. Mm-hmm. We'll do some shirts. Mm-hmm. We'll do like a pre-order thing. So if we make like, I don't know, 50 or 5,000, we'll do a pre-order thing for some merch. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. We'll catch you next time.